0: Today's guest is Guy Leach. Guy burst onto the Australian landscape when, as a 19-year-old, he won the gruelling inaugural Coolangatta Gold in 1984, a 46-kilometre ocean event which included swimming, paddling, surf skiing and running, a brutal test of endurance in anyone's language. He subsequently won it again the next year. In the 80s and 90s he won many Uncle Toby's Man's events, he won the World Ironman Championship in 86 and won the World Ocean Paddling Championship in Hawaii in 1994. Post-competing guy had been involved in the fitness industry for many years and still in his mid to late 50s today is as fit as he ever was, although he may differ on that one. But the reason we're talking today is as a result of the death of his close friend Charles Stewart. Chucky, as he was known, was a journalist with the Nine Network for years. In January 2016, Chuck was out on the water on Sydney Sydney Harbour for his weekly paddling surf ski session led by Guy. He felt unwell, subsequently returned to the shore and had a heart attack. Guy's life-saving CPR skills kept him alive until the ambulance arrived. He didn't regain consciousness, unfortunately, and died a few days later. Today, five years later, Guy's on a mission. He founded Heart 180. Its mission is to ensure that a defibrillator is within three minutes of every Australian by 2025. Hi, Guy. How are you? How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm pretty well, thank you. I suppose the best place to begin is to talk about your friendship with Charles Stewart. Um, how did you guys meet? I imagine it was through his time as a, a journalist with Wide World of Sports, or through Channel Nine in some way.
1: Yeah, so I met I met Chucky through um, Changing Sports. So he was working as a reporter and a journalist for Channel Nine, and back when Wildwater Sports was massive, you know, weekend viewing for um, you know for uh, for for us sports lovers and um and i'd I'd actually just retired from surf ironman and wanted to give triathlon a crack and at the time it was big news and so there was a national uh, triathlon series that it was televised that i was um entered into and um and and chucky was doing the story on the changeover so we became mates pretty much from then on it was uh, we just clicked and he actually was into fitness and started doing some bike riding with me, um, you know, whilst I was doing the triathlon um, training, and, and and I did that for a few years. And then when I retired and started that fitness group that you were talking about on the water on Sydney Harbour paddling, um, he transitioned over into that. And um, so yeah, he was he was more than just, I suppose, just a, a mate that turned up to do a bit of fitness with me. He was, he was part of, you know, at times part of my business where he would do the filming and editing and, you know, he'd write scripts for, for me, for businesses. And I mean, he, he really taught me how to act in front of a camera. Yeah, he was, um, he was a big part of my life.
0: Yeah, it must have been incredibly hard. Well, look, let's talk about that day. I mean, he was part of that paddling group that went out. I mean, how many people are typically in your group when you take them out?
1: That day was um, was one of the bigger days. We were just coming off Christmas and New Year, and I, I sort of took that week off. So it was it was the first session back. There would have been 25, maybe a few more there on that morning, and it was all guys. Um I just it was sort of a male sort of group that that morning, and um, we 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 normally go for sixty to ninety minutes depending on the day. That was a sixty minute sixty minute day that um, that we were doing, and you know he, he he told one of the lads about five minutes pre finish of the session that he was feeling crook. And to let me know that he'd he um, he go in and just meet us at breakfast at uh, a coffee at the cafe, and um, you know that was where it all it all sort of the the shit hit the fan, you know, right um, right when we paddled in. Yeah.
0: Mm, and so when you did get in, did I, mean, I remember reading somewhere that uh, somebody was you, know, you saw somebody was getting CPR and it ended up being uh, Chuck. So you then um, took over from whoever was doing that, did you?
1: Yeah, well we we were paddling in just like any other morning into the harbour beach there at Manly where the ferries come in it was all very calm and you know just subdued really we we're just warming down um floating floating in it just an easy, an easy pace and one of the guys said is that someone up there doing resuscitation and I sort of looked up and um you know, you know, within a split second, I went, "Yeah, it is." But I still hadn't dawned on me that it was Chucky, you know, and because you know this guy was probably a hundred meters away from where we were coming in on the on the skis, and um, and then one of the other guys said, I, "I think it might be Chucky," and I remember saying, "No, no, no, it can't be Chucky," and I got up and ran, knowing that I knew CPR and you know wanted to help. And as I got closer, I realised that the guy on the ground was in paddling gear, and it was in fact Chucky. So you know, it um, it went from being bad to being really, really bad when I realised it was him. You know, and I've done, I've done, been in those situations before, having grown up down the beach at the surf club, Mm. doing patrols and all those sort of things. And mate, it's different when it's when you don't know the person. It's oh, not, I imagine. It's I not just better, i not you. Saying it's better, but it's just different. Um, mm. It's just, it's really, really heavy when you know the face of the person that you're trying to bring back to life, yeah. yeah.
0: And so how long were you working on him before the ambulance arrived?
1: Felt like a day. Um, I bet it did. But um, I, look, they, the boys reckon it was about eight, eight minutes. The other guy was, he reckons he was doing it for a couple of minutes and i did the maths on everything and there was still a couple of minutes 2 to 3 minutes that i reckon um were missing and by by saying that i mean he was probably on the ground unconscious not breathing for that period of time before the other guy got to him and saw that he was in trouble so um yeah and that and that was there's two kickers in this whole story one is that um there was no defibrillator to restart the heart with a shock, and the second one was that lag time. And when I reckon he hit the deck, to when the the, the guy that saw him there went in and started doing CPR on him. So, they, they were the two kickers to to really make it hard for him to come back from. From what happened
0: from there so when the ambulance got there um were they able to you know uh, get a heartbeat i mean was there a sign that you know he was he might make it at that stage
1: mm. well you know look, the, i was getting no result on what i was doing and you, you you know you know whether someone's got a chance based on you know looking at their face the color of their face Yes. Um, whether there's any life in that face, and you know, it it just to me felt like what I was doing was was on someone that had no life in them at all. All um, oh, right. So I was, you know, I was hopeful that, but, but I just, yeah, and that it was a weird situation because you know you had twenty five other guys who all knew Chucky, that were all mates of everyone's there, that were all huddled around. Giving support and all the rest of it, and um, you know it was just a, a weird situation. And then um, the ambos turned up. I knew one of the ambos, um, local guy, you know, and 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 they 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 took over. Well, they didn't take over straight away. They said you keep going, um, and we'll set up. So they they quickly set up, and then got him into the stretcher. Quickly got him into the ambos where they could keep doing CPR but get the defib on him. Um, and, a, and adrenaline into him. Um, and and I I was sort of standing outside the ambulance with the other guys as they were working on him, and they probably had him there for five minutes, and every now and then the guy I knew put his head out, and I, I went thumbs up, thumbs down, and he went thumbs down. And and so, you know, it was like I was getting the running commentary from him, even though I couldn't mm. see what was going on inside, inside the ambulance. But... um. They they did get a, a heartbeat back um, after about six or seven minutes. So um, they the guy thumbs up me and said we're going to roll North Shore and they bolted. So at the time I thought you know he's he's going to make it. Um, but as I said it was it was the, it was the lag time with the um, the, the, the no CPR. And the fact that there wasn't a defib on on him earlier as well that that ended up being that he he didn't he didn't make it a couple of days later. Like he got there, then they had to over the next half a day put put him on breathing apparatus to yes. keep his heart going, and, and that was the beginning of the end, you know. So, yeah.
0: And I, subsequently that was turned off, I imagine, and he died.
1: Yeah. The irony is that they count that as a save, like so, st- statistically wise which all this stuff I've learned after the fact with like um, just people surviving a sudden cardiac arrest and defibs and all all the stuff that goes with it. Um, If you get someone to the hospital breathing, but they don't make it, that still counts as a save in the stats out in the streets with sudden cardiac arrest.
0: That seems absolutely bizarre, doesn't it? Weird,
1: isn't it? Yeah, they count that as like because you've actually got the person to the actual hospital with their, their heart beating. Yeah.
0: So there must I, be a couple I'm of sure. stats,
1: one one being getting them there, but then the other one being, well, do they still survive after the fact? Yeah. Mm.
0: So if, you know, I mean, it's interesting on, on this podcast. I've talked to a variety of people you know, who lose people, and mm-hmm. you know, and how they reacted to it. And generally, it's you know, it, it's a, a sibling or it's a partner, or a wife, husband, whatever. But when it's a friend and and someone you've known over a period of time like that, it can often be very, very different. So, mm-hmm. how did Charles's death affect you? You know, afterwards,
1: uh, probably, probably badly. You know, I would suggest I, I um. The, 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 the problem is that he was he was so interwined into into my life that that you know you, you know, like if you've got a brother or a sister that you don't see very often and you catch up once a year at Christmas mate, it still hurts you but it hurts you more when when it's someone that's around you every day mm. you know and he was that guy he was he was around me like I literally couldn't think of a day for 20 years where, mate, we either didn't talk on the phone, do work together on something, play golf, go paddling, um, or just hang out. Like he was always at the cafe after paddling. Like So the, the time I spent with him was significant. And because, yes. because his mind was similar to mine where we, we're just, we've got a lot to say, we're interested in lots of things, um, we have the same interests um you'd you do a lot of talking as well and so all of that getting taken away was just was just weird yeah it really was
0: yeah yeah it's it's you know I, it, it, it's funny because i haven't really lost a close friend um, as such and i just think about what it'd be like if, if you know that had happened to me it, it would be just a a really strange scenario: someone it's, that you've just been so close with a long period of time. that's it's, that's it's, a friend who's got their own life, their own family. It's yeah.
1: different when you hear that they've oh they've they've like passed away, um, as opposed to you've got your hands on the person, and you're trying to bring the person back to life, and and you're seeing them dead, and you're trying to change that outcome. You know, like even though I've been brought up. Around it a bit, um, based on being a surf life saving, then a lifeguard for a small time before I was a professional athlete full time. You, it's it's very hard to become conditioned to someone lying on the ground like that, and there's no life in them, and you've decided that no one else is going to touch him other than you because you believe that you've got the best chance of getting him back. Before the ambush, yeah. so it's it's a weird
0: situation. So we, when you I mean, I'm just trying to think what it must have been like, you know, going back on the water with the group. I mean, how did it affect you know your work and and the the interaction with the people that all knew him and you know going forward.
1: People talked. I mean, about, we
0: also sorry to interrupt? Were you also concerned then about the health of others? You know, I mean, it just you know. Yeah, everyone. Well.
1: Um, like you know the the crew. The crew are pretty tight and um. Yeah, uh, it's a fair question because when you talk about about a hundred people in the group that all knew him, and you know, the, you know, probably all or more than that, and really only fifteen percent of those people were there that day. Hmm. Um, people deal with things in different ways, and it, it's it's hard to know how certain people dealt with it. You know, um, certainly, I reckon I probably. It hit me harder than other people because he was like my older brother, um, mm. and and notwithstanding the fact that I just didn't think it was his time to die. Yeah, you know, because even though he was like sixty three or whatever, it was like he he had a body and and energy wise of a forty year old. He trained every day. Like his day off on a Sunday, he walked the golf course and played eighteen holes. He was he was that bloke, you know that that just was just into exercise and looking after himself and you just you just go well it's just sort of unfair you know so so that part of it was I uh, uh, it gave me the shits because i just kept thinking that you know it's just he's been robbed he's been robbed 20 years of of mm. what could have been based on just being unlucky so mm. yeah Hmm.
0: Did it change your approach in relation to the group in terms of? I mean, given what you're doing today, um, people's heart health within your group?
1: Oh, big time! Yeah, so like it was, it was a wake up call. The, um, the 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 core group is about a hundred, and mate, once the de- the dust had settled, and we, you know, we, we, you know, had time to think about it all. I said to the group, "Look, and we're talking 40 to 72 year olds. And if you uh, if you saw them all, they're all in front of you, in their paddling gear. You go, mate. There's not one bloke here that looks like they're unhealthy. Not one. Right. And you, and some of them, you'd say, mate, that guy's a fine specimen for his age. He's yep. like in the top 0.1% of what you'd see. So you'd be you'd be imp- impressed as a collective." Of the group, you know? So I said, listen, guys, go to the doctor. You've got to get a checkup and go see a cardiologist. You've got till this date, which was 12 weeks from when I said it. And if you haven't done it, well then, mate, you're not paddling until you go and get it done. Mm -hmm. And um, so off they went and they all did it. Now of those hundred, five had to get admitted straight away to have stents put in. God. And another ten had to go on medication because they had issues around blood pressure, cholesterol, those sort of things. So you know it was, and, and one of the one of the what the one of the five that had stents put in was was the forty year old who was the fittest guy in the group, and he had two stents put in. It was just, just you know genetic, his family disposition. So you know it was a it was a classic example of mate, don't judge what you see on the outside. Because what's yes. on the inside could be different. Mm.
0: God, what a wake up call for people. Be amazing, yeah. really, isn't it? Seriously, yeah. You know-
1: like people people are dying every day based on but like Aussie males are dying every day based on stupidity of not getting checked up for their, their, their heart conditions. Mm. You know, like and so the problem with all of that is that mate, when you get blockages, um, most of the time, they don't happen in one foul swoop. They'll make the, the the narrowing of the arteries happen over time. So, mm. and and gradually. So your gradual feeling of not feeling as good as you did three years earlier happens so slowly that you can't remember what it was like to feel like it was before.
0: Mm, exactly. Yeah.
1: And then all Very of a sudden, you're ch- like, "Geez, I'm, I've been flat for a while." Then boom, you have that you have that heart incident, and you you're just hoping you get through it. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's a fascinating you know um, thing to happen like that, and how the the greater collective. Yeah, as you say, I think it's a really interesting because I mean, how many times do people look at other people and go, "God, that's a heart attack waiting to happen," and here's a collective of a hundred people that you know you're saying, "Look, are in great nick," but oh, you know, fifteen percent you know needed attention, yeah, no, and five percent critical attention. Yeah, it's weird. It um, it, it is.
1: The, you know, the running joke was that the the guy that. The young one, he's the bloke that trained all weekend because he did adventure racing and uh, he was about to go to the States and represent Australia in the Masters competition for those five-hour events. And he was okay. like, instead of going on that trip representing Australia, he was in hospital at Royal North Shore getting two stents put in. God uh, almighty. Yeah, yeah, he's fine now, it's no problem.
0: But yeah. So, in terms of the work you're doing today and what you've founded with Heart One Hundred and Eighty, when did you sort of make a you know, conscious decision? Okay, look, you know, if there'd been a defibrillator there that morning, you know, Chucky might have had a really good chance of pulling this through. Yeah. Or pulling through, um, I want to do something about it. Hat, what sort of was the, the chronological thing from yeah, getting well, it going?
1: Just to, like Heart One Hundred and Eighty is a is a defibrillator business that I established to get more. Of these devices into the community, educate people to some startling facts, which I'll go through, go into in a second that I learned after Chucky died. But it's there as education, motivation. We train people up on how to use the devices and do CPR, and we get the best DFibs into the community at a price that's um, not exorbitant and Mate, we, we get into the media and do as much make as much noise as possible so that's and the 180 stands for 180 seconds and that Second. initial 180 seconds of someone dropping and not breathing with and being unconscious is the perfect time to get a defibrillator bring the pads on the patient and that gives the person over 70% chance of survival um, If you ring triple I wait for the ambulance in Australia, you've got about a 6% chance of surviving an incident like cool. that. So it's, it's chalk and cheese. And and that goes up. The the numbers go up if someone knows how to do CPR well and understands the defib. So, for instance, if you dropped in front of me and I got the defib out that I, I know how to use, mate, you're up to 90% of coming back, percent chance of surviving a um, sudden cardiac arrest, which is Australia's biggest killer. So, mate... That's what Heart 180 is. As far as man, how it all happened, I didn't walk off the back of Chucky not making it and going, this is what I'm gonna do now. It was it was completely organic how it turned out. Like, I, I had a successful fitness business that was going really well. Um, you know, after, after Chucky died, I was like the, you know, the media picked up on it. Because Chucky had a profile anyway, mm. and then you, yes. you know, the media started hearing the guy leaked was on his chest trying to bring him back. You know, it, straight away it's like, mate, that's a great story. So, you know, I had everyone ringing me up. Today's show, Current Affair, you name it. And um, so, you know, I, so I made the decision to talk about it because I thought, well, you know, Chucky's name should live on and – you know and and it's it's the right thing to do and you know once i learned that you know that mate there needed to be a defib there people need to get more of them out and we need more in the community and all these good things i thought mate, let's let's just let's turn this into as much of a positive as we can it was hard having to talk about it in the media but um but it probably helped me i suppose through the whole thing and then I had all the boys that were in there that day and in the training group saying, Leachie, find out about D-Fibs. We want to get one. We want one in our car. We want one at home. We want one for our business. We need one when we go paddling so that if someone drops again on the shore, mate, we can save them. We want to go yes. and do CPR training. So I was sort of given, the, I suppose, the baton to go and sort all that out. So I went and found the company that, Brought the best defibs in Australia. I right? bought defibs from them for myself and for the other boys. And um, slowly but surely, then I, you know, this company, Striker, said, "Would you like to be a distributor? Because you, you, you're, we're seeing you on television talking about this stuff. You're a great role model to get more defibs out there. And you know, you, you could do it as a side thing." And I said, "Fine, I'm, I'm happy to do it." So that, that was. For the next couple of years I did that and we had some great success. And then we saved a few lives with defibs that we sent out to the community, which was awesome. Um, and then the big, the big, um, I suppose, jump was when um, one of the guys in my paddling group, the CFO of Harvey Norman, I talked him into, him into produce, letting me provide defibs to the Harvey Norman stores and shoot a TV commercial with myself talking about dfibs and what happened with Chucky and getting people to come into the stores and buy dfibs which had never been done before and so that was the that was the leap from being you know a part-time side business that you a Dfib would turn up at my front doorstep I would sell one to you I'd go to the post office ship it off yeah. um, and and that was that was it. As opposed to when you're supplying every Harvey Norman store in Australia, mate, you you, you have you a distribution go, network. You need to go man up and, and, and like, this is a proper business. So that was, yeah. so when, when he said, yes, we'll do this, I was like, mate, I better, I better work out how am I going to do this because me rocking down to the post office with 50 defibs isn't going to work. <laughs> you know? No, a bit so, difficult. You know, it was, it was a case of, well, I'm, I'm all in now. And, you know, it, for me it's um it's bittersweet doing this. It 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 constantly reminds you of Chucky. We like the the, the good the, the the good of it is that mate we're doing something for a mate that mate is lost that, you know, and it's he's not forgotten and we save other lives. So we, we're on about a, every seven weeks or so we find out about someone that Has been a a deep of ours has been used on that person and brought them back to life. Um, Mm. You know, a lot of the time we find out their names, their stories, we meet them um, after the fact and all that good stuff. So, look, there's a lot of good in it and it it gets me out of bed every morning feeling like I'm I'm making a difference, doing something that is is important. And I, I just believe that, you know, if I keep doing this for the next 10 years, that, you know, the 30,000 people or more than 30,000 people that die every year from an electrical issue with a heart, which is <clears throat> nearly 100 people a day, that which includes a kid under the age of 10 every day and fit teenagers and right through to the elderly. I think that, you know, I can work out a way of cracking the nut and save. Thousands and thousands of lives. So, you know, when you, that's my thing.
0: Mm. When you talk about that statistical difference, you know, the 6% waiting for the ambulance that survived to the 90% if there's CPR and a defib, I mean, it's a hell of a gap, isn't it? And, you yes. know, like, and the opportunity to save that many lives is quite astounding, really.
1: Look, you know, you I suppose you get to a stage in your life where you think, mate, I've done some good stuff. I've, you know, got a family and kids and everything. Mate, yeah, for me, I've been given this opportunity where I feel like it's more than just winning Ironman races and being the best in the world at something, which which was the thing that drove me when I was younger, uh, being so competitive and, and loving what I did. I think that, you know, for me, my 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 calling is to, to get this thing right and, you know, I, I, I would take back all of it if Chucky was around now. You know, I'd be happy to just, you know, just to to not be doing this if chucky wasn't around but the reality is is he's not and it's it's just driven me to to want to go and make a difference and i think that you know the, the day that my time's done on this earth you know hopefully that's what people will remember me for which is
0: yeah, you know, well, really, mate, really making a difference. Uh, in this I mean, area. it sounds like it's it sounds like it's going really well. I mean, the Pharmacy Guild um, uh, distributive agreement, I imagine, has really helped you as well in terms of pharmacies that are within the guild stocking a defib. So it sounds like you're kicking some goals, Guy.
1: Yeah, look, we, yeah, it, this is one of those ones where it's sort of it, it's still it was early days five years ago, and it's it's got a bit better, but it's still early. Like for instance, um, you know, like gyms. It's not mandatory to have a defib in a gym, which is crazy. That's like, people drop every week in gyms. Yeah. Um, schools, it's not mandatory when you drop your kid at school to have a defib at a school and be trained up on how to use it. Which I mean, we lose a kid under the age of 10 today and tomorrow yeah. and the day after. So you're like, well, if that was your kid, mm. mate, you would be filthy that there's no defib at a school Just- and – you know, and that happens. So public you know, train it, a we're transport. In the prehistoric stages still with this and mm. it's it's not good enough. Um, you know, like there's there's some ridiculous rules out there and 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 laws that don't make sense and they're they're out of date. Like for instance, right the building you're in right now or you'll walk into today has to have a fire extinguisher, extinguisher in it, mm. which is fine, right? That makes sense. But mate, there's about a hundred people this year will die from a fire related incident, and you have to have one of those things in in all the buildings that you go into. Mate, we lose the same amount of people today from an electrical issue of the heart. We've got a solution, how to save most of them, and it's not mandatory to have these things anywhere. So go well, figure. Go figure.
0: Um- but as you say, I mean, as you know, as the word gets out more and more, and you know the the, the positive stories start to fill out there, um, you would think that the you know these things will change. I mean, to think of schools, what have you, and gyms. I mean, it, that's a classic. I mean, my local gym, um, uh, I'm going to after this podcast, and I'm ask going to be mentioning to him. I'm going to ask the question. Ask it the question. certainly will be asking the question. It's
1: like, listen, um, if I drop. Draw- I drop from a heart-related incident which people our age do every week in a gym because you don't know whether you've got some sort of issue with your heart by raising your heart rate it gives you a better chance of something going wrong unfortunately. Um, mate have you got a here so that you can restart my heart? that's, that's mm. the question and it's, like, well, and it's a fair question For the sake of a couple of grand um, you know is that worth not having? to uh, save someone yeah
0: well you know to think how it would destroy a community a workplace you know or whatever it may be you know it's let alone well, you talk, yeah, I, you're yeah. talking
1: about mental health and how it affects you i mean we've had situations where you know the the, the personal trainer has brought the DVB off the wall that we've got to that gym got the person back but even by getting the person back the other members and the other personal trainers around there, mate, they've got mental issues off the back of it, and that's with a successful result from it all. So you can only imagine when it doesn't go well, what uh, what happens. Yeah.
0: No, and look, just to conclude with today, guy. I mean, it's such an you know a, a great story, you know, out of a tragic situation, and what you're doing. But one of the things that we you know when we when we first spoke was that we talked about grief and how people handle grief. Um, you you know told me about, you know, you were introduced to grief at a at a very young age, uh, within your family, by losing your sister, um, and I, and I just you know for, for people with children, um, I mean, how we, what were your recollections? You know, and I, and I don't mean to drag you through this, but as a as a twelve year old, um, I think you said you were when your sister died, who was much younger, and you know, as a kid, I mean, you had, I mean, not many twelve year olds have to come to terms with those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, by the time I was twelve, I lost my sister. My parents had split up and I saw my dad have a heart attack in front of me. So, you know, like I, I was... Mate, you only know what you know when you're young, right? Mm. And you've got nothing to base it off other than what you see in front of you. You know, you play, you play the situation that's in front of you now. How you deal with it's another thing. For me, as a 12-year-old, I, I probably dealt with it as a, as a 12-year-old boy like... Plenty of other twelve-year-old boys didn't want to talk about it, and and wanted to try to forget about it as much as I could. So you know that was that was what it was. I didn't want to bring it up. It just it I just let it sit inside me, and I just tried to to just keep moving forward in life, I suppose, and just not forget, but just try not to hurt, you know. Mm. As little, I just try to keep the pain at a at a minimum, just just through survival, I would say, as a kid, that's what you you know, that's what I did. And because I was, I was lucky that sport was my my saviour. It was um, my 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 rock, and it was my, um, it, it was like my 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 sort of psychology couch, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, in that I could throw my energy, and my effort, and my feelings into. The swimming pool, going up and down the pool, doing laps, um, being coached by, luckily, the guy who was the head coach of the Australian Olympic swimming team, and just, I suppose, just just um, forget about everything in that world of high performance and trying to make the Olympic team and be the best you could be. And you know, I, I, looking back now at all of it, it was probably the thing that that just made life easier for me at the time because I just had something else that I was focused on and, yeah, I, I figure that, you know, for people listening, you probably go, well, that sort of makes sense. I'd never really thought about it until you said it then as how I dealt with it as a kid, but I, I would suggest that would be probably why I sort of dealt with it better than what I could have,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it, Um, you know, when that happens?
1: Um... Yeah, I just think you got to try to keep busy. you got to try to keep moving forward. you just... I mean, I I always look at, you know, I mean, if if people looked at my life in all the things I've won and done and you didn't hear about the other stuff, you'd be thinking, geez, Guy Leach has had a good run. Like he's obviously good at what he does. He knows how to win. You know, he's disciplined and all the rest of it. But everyone has a story and everyone's got a journey. Everyone goes through suffering and ups and downs and it's just life, you know, and it's just what it is what
0: it is you and i are around the same sort of age bracket and um i don't know too many people regardless of you know where they their station is in life that hasn't got a story um and if they haven't got one well good luck to them they're bloody lucky to have well got they're Well, they're without. not
1: telling you mate they have but they're just not telling you
0: <laughs> maybe that's true but look mate thank you so much for um uh, sharing your story um, and being a guest on on the podcast today we will promote um, heart 180 through the various means that we can and just want to wish you all the very best with it guy because uh, yeah, it's it. a really admirable pursuit and not just admirable it's bloody needed and um, congratulations on it mate
1: yeah good on you and if people want to know more about DFibs and sudden cardiac arrest and all that stuff um, you can just go the website's heart 180 um, 180 heart180.com.au all the information's there and you can contact me directly through the website and more than happy to chat and uh come back with information for anyone that uh wants wants what uh what you know whatever they need so it's good.
0: good on you thanks for your time thanks mil all the very best
1: on you buddy